Uh, we're going to talk about deconstructing faith, uh, which is a term I'll define in a little bit. But I want to start with the story of Nanny Helen Burroughs. Anyone heard of Miss Burroughs by chance? Okay. That's all right. I didn't know of her either. I was doing some reading on black history and uh, came across her story. And so I want to share it with you. Uh, she was born in 1879 in Virginia to formerly enslaved, uh, a couple who was formerly enslaved. Uh, her dad died when uh, she was very young. She was just four years old. So her mom moved her and her sisters to D.C., Washington, D.C., to live with extended family and to join a growing, vibrant church community there. Uh, in D.C., Nanny excelled. She did great. She did great in school, specifically. She was uh, excellent at her academic studies. And normally, uh, that would have uh, won her a position in the school. Uh, she even met, met some great mentors by Anna Cooper and Mary Terrell, who were two black women, scholars, academics, both of whom were involved in the suffrage movement, the right to vote for women, uh, and the civil rights movement of the time. This is like the early... 1900s at this point. Uh, but Nanny's academic achievements weren't enough because she came from a low socioeconomic status background and the color of her skin was very, very dark. The school, if they were going to hire black teachers, wanted black teachers of middle class or a higher socioeconomic background than hers and teachers of lighter skin. So there's a colorism or racism element there for sure. Uh, this, as you can imagine, didn't sit well with Miss Burroughs. She had, you might say, deconstructed the belief of her own inferiority. And uh, fortunately, she was able to get a job with the denomination that her church was a part of. It was called the National Baptist Convention. And she got a job with the main office. And this was a young denomination. It was thriving. For 10 years, she worked for the church, and she was given a lot of responsibilities, which was unusual as a young woman, uh, but because she was pretty amazing and remarkable person. Well, she had an idea. She wanted to start her own school, specifically for the training and empowerment of young black women. There just wasn't such a thing at the time. She approached some of her denominational leaders about this, and they said, that's a good idea. Uh, we'll give you a little bit of land. And they did. They gave her some land outside of D.C. And they said, but you just need to raise the money to build the school. Good luck. <laughs> well, Miss Burroughs was very zealous, and she went out, and she fundraised. And would you believe it? She built a school. She built a school for young black women, and it began to thrive. It started as she was the only teacher. Soon they added many, many staff, lots of buildings, and uh, they constructed offices and dorms. Here are a couple photos I'll, sh I'll share with you. It was soon attracting young black women, not just from around the country, but from around the world. People were coming to be trained here. They even had a basketball team. Next photo. Now, many objected to this school uh, because she was training black girls and young women to do all kinds of things and educating them. But at the time, black women were really only supposed to do menial labor or housework. But like I said, uh, Nanny Burroughs had deconstructed the idea that there was a prescribed role for black women. She didn't agree with that belief. 
Well, Nanny continued her church work. She was involved in the NAACP as well. She was absolutely prolific, involved in all kinds of movements for the empowerment of women and black people until her death in 1961. She had touched the lives of thousands and thousands of black women, empowering them, lifting them up. And the school continued actually a couple decades uh, after her death until it was transformed into other schools actually. Today the buildings are a national landmark, so you can actually visit them on the outskirts of DC. I wanted to share uh, the story of Nanny Helen Burroughs because she's a powerful model, I think, of deconstructing faith. So what is deconstructing faith? And you can uh, take that image down, Michael, thank you. Deconstructing faith is a broad term that people use to describe the process of calling into question any beliefs or practices in the institutional church that don't seem to be working very well. Maybe they're causing some kind of harm for a particular person or for an individual who's in that institution. Now, Nanny Helen Burroughs didn't exactly target specific doctrinal beliefs per se, but certainly there was a belief in the institutional church on the role of women and the role of black people that was harmful. And she absolutely deconstructed those harmful beliefs and practices. And she worked within the system to try to change it, But meanwhile, she also went and just built her own thing, an alternative new structure that would embody the values that she wanted to engender and see happen in the world. I mean, pretty inspiring story, isn't it? One foot in the world trying to change it, one foot in a new creation that is embodying values against that which she's working to change. Awesome. Well, I want to reflect this morning a bit more um, broadly on just the pattern and process of deconstructing faith. There has been recently just a lot of conversations using that term deconstructing faith, and with it, a lot of pushback from prominent Christian leaders who feel a little nervous about what might happen if people challenge traditional Christian doctrines and practices. Um, And, you know, I'm sympathetic to these Christian leaders in a way because they have a lot to lose. You know, they're the ones in power. This is their tradition, so to speak. Uh, They feel like they are stewards over it. Um, But I also can see ways that the Christian tradition doesn't always serve everyone and ways we might challenge it. So we'll, we'll talk more about that as we go through the morning. But I want to turn now to a story of deconstructing faith in the Bible. Um, And it's from Jesus. Jesus, as we will see, totally supports deconstructing faith. We might even see Jesus himself as a model of deconstruction. Jesus, when he came into his ministry, felt that there were beliefs and practices that didn't work. He challenged those. He was himself deconstructing and meanwhile creating something new. So we're going to look at a story where Jesus uh, sees some folks deconstructing in real time, and we're going to watch his response to it. It's a pretty fun story. Okay, so we're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 2. 
This happens very, very early on in Jesus' ministry. So he's just getting going, and large crowds are starting to respond to the message. Okay? All right. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Real quick, what's funny about this line? He's not at home. His house is in Nazareth. Like, that's where he's from. So it's not his home, but the writer's saying he's at home. Wherever Jesus goes, he's at home. You know what I'm saying? Think about that for a minute. Yes, love it. All right, so many gathered there. There was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And as he was speaking, and he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they laid down the mat on which the paralyzed man lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk? But so that you may know the Son of Man, meaning Jesus himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, Stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Whew. This is the perfect story of deconstruction because it's a literal story of deconstruction, right? We've got Jesus in a very crowded house. He has everyone's attention because Jesus is a master storyteller. He's also a miracle worker and a healer, and people have started to know this. So some people show up with their friend who needs healing, and they can't get in. So what do they do? They knock on the door really loud, try to get in. Nope, that didn't work. Okay, well, we'll just go up on the roof and start digging a hole through the ceiling. (laughs) Right? Anyone ever dug through a ceiling before to do, right? This feels a little extreme, does it not? If we just think about this for a moment. This is a public speaking moment, right? Much like this. And you you imagine like a distraction of this magnitude where something's happening in the room and the speaker has to decide, like, do they keep going? (laughs) Or do we like have to stop and acknowledge this? It's like a second grade classroom on the first snow. Can the second grade teacher keep going? No, no, you have to like stop the class, let the kids respond. So, you know, you imagine it. Jesus is telling this awesome story as he often does and all of a sudden the sky starts falling, or the ceiling anyway, little bits of dust and debris start wafting down on the people. Everyone's looking up. They're watching pieces fall. Everyone's trying to get out of the way. There's not very much room, though, so they're making way. And all of a sudden, when the hole is big enough, 
they start to see a man being lowered into the room like a magic act. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever been to like um, uh, a circus where there's like a high wire or, or a high rope walk and you're just kind of like sitting like this watching as I do. Like I get so nervous, like don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. You know, and I'm just like sucking in my breath. I kind of feel like that's probably the tone in the room. Like, oh my gosh, don't fall, don't drop him, you know? Like, because they're lowering a person who, on a mat, like, don't drop the dude. <laughs> or what if one, like, goes a little more quickly or slowly than the others, and it gets off balance, and oh my gosh. I mean, I watch this on the soccer pitch when they, like, carry people off the pitch. You can go on YouTube and watch bloopers, and it's horrifying. They drop people who are injured. It's... Anyway. It might just be me, I get that. <laughs> okay, they get him down safely. Whew. They get him down safely in the room. And now what? What's going to happen? What's Jesus going to do? Well, he announces forgiveness. Liberation. I give you liberation, Jesus says. Right? The forgiveness of debts, the forgiveness of sins. This act prompts a theological quandary. There are some religious leaders who have a front row seat. They are comfortable in the house. They've been granted easy access to all the action happening. And they hear Jesus' proclamation and their first thought is, you're doing it wrong. It's bad theology. It's bad doctrine. That's an incorrect belief, Jesus. You haven't read your Bible. We have the correct interpretation of the Bible and the scriptures. We know the right answers when it comes to God. And you're doing it wrong. Jesus sort of answers them and then heals the man. It's a miracle. The man who everyone knew had been paralyzed, could not move, stands up, picks up his mat, steps through the crowded room <laughs> to get out of the house, and everyone is amazed. And what the line is great. They have, we've never seen anything like this, they say. Wow. Okay, here's what's fascinating. At no point in the story does Jesus critique the people for destroying the house. In fact, it's the opposite, okay? I have another slide, Michael, if we can. Uh, thank you. There's another slide of the specific language in the story, one before this one. Check it out. They lower him on the mat, and what does it say? When Jesus saw their faith. Jesus looks up and sees people destroying personal property, and he calls that faith. Hello? They can't get healing any other way. They've got to destroy some stuff to get the good stuff. 
they believe that the house that they're sitting in is not as important as the healing of their friend. And Jesus agrees with that assessment. Get the personal property out of the way. Take the roof off. Deconstruct the box we're sitting in so that healing can happen. Oh, this has some implications for justice as well, but we'll just set that aside for today. Notice, too, the faith there, their faith. It is communal. It's plural. It's collective. It's not even the faith of the person who gets healed. (laughs) It's the friends who did all the labor, all the work, all the deconstructing. Their faith is what makes the miracle happen. Maybe the man's included, right? It's a collective faith, like he's part of that somehow. Cool. Either way, it is communal. It is collective. It is a profoundly awesome act of friendship. All right, thanks, Michael. You can take it down. Now, while they are deconstructing the roof, Jesus does a bit of deconstructing also. He announces forgiveness, apparently breaking with the theological tradition that the religious authorities themselves endorse. And again, they think he has bad theology. He's got the wrong doctrine, the wrong beliefs that are heretical and blasphemous. But here's the thing. Jesus is not as concerned with the right way to think as he is with accomplishing God's mission. It's not about getting it right. It simply isn't when it comes to Jesus. He's not concerned with that. It's like we're having a different conversation. You religious leaders, you Theo bros have to get it right. Well, guess what I came to do, says Jesus. I'm loosing God's power. I'm loosing God's healing. That's what I came to do. And while you're wringing your hands, making sure God's okay, that we protect the theological tradition, uh uh-uh, no, says Jesus. I'm here for something bigger and better. All right, let's put up that chart, Michael. I have a comparison chart of the posture of the religious leaders and the four friends and which side Jesus endorses. So check this out. It's the four friends who are deconstructing the house. The religious authorities are quite comfortable sitting in it. Hmm? The authorities emphasize doctrine and the right way to think. If you just have the right ideas, you'll be saved. No. No. The emphasis on the four friends is in meaningful action. It's on the doing. It's how you live. The effects, the consequences of our lives in the world. That's it. The goal of the religious authorities? To get it right. To be right feels good to be right. Oh, and everyone else is wrong. Oh, that feels good. 
That's power. It's false power is what that is. The goal of Jesus is to get healing, or the four friends, excuse me, to share, to get the healing out in the world. And look at that last one, God's power. The authorities feel like it has to be protected and defended and constrained. Keep it in the house. But the friends know God's power has to be shared. And that's why sometimes you just got to take the roof off. It just has to go. Look, it's not the church's fault or any part of creation's fault that it can't contain God's power. (laughs) God is God. God's power is God's power. And there is no created thing that can contain it. We're not meant to, and that's okay. So sometimes the tradition that we've received won't contain it adequately. And it's got to come apart. We can keep reassembling. That's cool. Houses are helpful. Jesus is in the house. He's grateful for the house. I'm sure some helpful people help repair the house after the story ends. We don't get that part. Um, But bless those folks who helped repair the house. Jesus is endorsing, supporting the deconstruction of things. It is called faith. It's risky. It means doing something. And it can feel a little disruptive, right? It can feel disruptive when people are taking apart things. It can feel disruptive when we take apart the traditions and the institutions that we've received. We can recognize still how the institutions and traditions have served us well. We can also take it apart when it's no longer working for us. For the sake of healing. For the sake of healing and liberation. Brings us back to Nanny Helen Burroughs, right? Miss Burroughs' faith led her to deconstruct the racist, male dominated system. She sought healing and liberation for black women. The system could not contain her, so she built her own. She didn't do it alone, it was collective, it was communal. She got donations and fundraise, mostly from small donations, by the way, from other women. She had mentors and friends come alongside her, and the results were amazing, miraculous even. This is the faith that Jesus celebrates. It's the faith that we are striving to enact and embody here at Sanctuary, a faith that is profoundly communal, something we're doing together A faith that emphasizes doing and action action over the right kind of thinking. A faith that welcomes deconstruction of the house, just like Jesus welcomes it. And a faith that wants to see God's power shared, not constrained. That is the kind of faith that is compelling It's the kind of faith Jesus came to share. It's the kind of faith he calls us all to embrace and enact in the world. Sadly, 
there are still many church traditions that are like the religious authorities, emphasizing the right way to do it, the right kind of thinking, over and above accessing God's healing in the world. But guess what? The ceiling is falling. The ceiling is falling. There is dust and debris swirling around the institution of Christianity. For good reason. We want the good stuff that God has. We're going to take it apart. We are going to take it apart because we know Jesus has the good stuff and the healing. And when things are not working, we're going to take the roof off. Will you take the roof off? Who's with me? Amen. Uh, I don't know how to close that. Why don't we pray? Let's ask God for that courage of the four friends. Come, Holy Spirit. We hear the story of Nanny Helen Burroughs, oh God. One who was in a system that didn't work, but continued to be a part of it to work reform, and meanwhile went and built something alternative. Wow. We hear the stories of those four friends tearing off the roof to get their friend to Jesus, to get healing. Wow. Jesus, we want to be marked by that kind of faith. Make us that kind of community of that kind of faith. Fill us with courage and wisdom as we pursue that. In Jesus' name, amen.